You're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America First perspective. Streaming live on iHeartRadio, available on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. Follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. Or shoot me an email. That address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. We've got a voicemail set up where you can leave a message with your questions or comments at 772-245-0750. That vent line is 772-245-0750. Well, it's a great day. It was a great weekend. Uh, as the Sunday news shows were teeing up to uh, do their bash-a-thon on impeachment, uh, Donald Trump made some fantastic, uh, the announcement of some fantastic news. And that was after um, about a, what is it, about a 10, about a a nine-year search for uh, el-Baghdadi, the founder and leader of ISIS, U.S. Special Forces led by Delta Force, the Green Beret, and the Army Airborne, caught up with him in a a hideout that uh, was right on the Turkish border, about three miles from the Turkish border which is uh, kind of surprising place for him to be hiding out, uh, supposedly in an area that was uh, controlled by al-Qaeda. Uh, but the, uh, the allegiances and loyalties over there are all scrambled up. You don't know who from one day to the next is allying themselves with who. And uh, it was right for the president to extract us from that uh, that. Quagmire, um, but uh, on the way out, apparently, U.S. intelligence had located uh, El Baghdadi, and um, the special forces went in under cover of darkness, uh, found him, and killed him along with many of his um, his fighters, a couple of his wives who had donned explosive vests, and. Um, and recovered a great deal of of uh, valuable intelligence on ISIS's operations as well. So I'm going to play you a, a kind of a long clip here. This is President Trump's Sunday morning announcement. I think he finally uh, came on at about 9:30 Sunday morning after annoying the uh, the Sunday news shows to no end by uh, by not rolling out exactly on time. Uh, but uh, the president. Um, had some good news to report to us on a Sunday morning, which is uh, usually the time that the networks reserve for their Trump bashing, and this is what it sounded like. Last night, the United States brought the world's number one terrorist leader to justice, Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi, is dead. He was the founder and leader of ISIS the most ruthless and violent terror organization anywhere in the world. The United States has been searching for Baghdadi for many years. Capturing or killing Baghdadi has been the top national security priority of my administration. 
U.S. Special Operations Forces executed a dangerous and daring nighttime raid in northwestern Syria and accomplished their mission in grand style. The U.S. personnel were incredible. I got to watch much of it. No personnel were lost in the operation, while a large number of Baghdadi's fighters and companions were killed with him. He died after running into a dead-end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. The compound had been cleared by this time, with people either surrendering or being shot and killed. Eleven young children were moved out of the house and are uninjured. The only ones remaining were Baghdadi in the tunnel, and he had dragged three of his young children with him. They were led to certain death. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. He ignited his vest, killing himself and the three children. His body was mutilated by the blast. The tunnel had caved in on it, in addition. But test results gave certain immediate and totally positive identification. It was him. The thug who tried so hard to intimidate others spent his last moments in utter fear, in total panic and dread, terrified of the American forces bearing down on him. We were in the compound for approximately two hours, and after the mission was accomplished, we took highly sensitive material and information from the raid, much having to do with ISIS, origins, future plans, things that we very much want. Baghdadi's demise demonstrates America's relentless pursuit of terrorist leaders and our commitment to the enduring and total defeat of ISIS and other terrorist organizations. Now, the media's response to that announcement was uh, after just, uh, you know, a, a few brief words of congratulations to the American military uh, to uh, excoriate the president for his blunt language in describing al-Baghdadi's end on this earth. Uh, and this is why the president is a genius and the people uh, in the media are mostly fools. And that is because they don't understand at all that if the president hadn't have branded Baghdadi's demise as being cowardly and dishonorable, then ISIS would have been left and the Islamic terrorists to to characterize this as his martyrdom by making sure that the uh, that Baghdadi left this earth in a ignominious fashion. The president made sure that he characterize this in a way that cannot be reversed as a cowardly and shameful end for Baghdadi, exactly what he deserves for the way he conducted himself, a, a 
a vicious, depraved, perverse, sadist, and murderer that's responsible for thousands and thousands of deaths, including Americans. There's no way uh, that this man should have been allowed to, to die with anything other but scorn and humiliation. And while the reality of that happened in faraway sands in Syria on the Turkish border, it was left to the president of the United States to make sure that that end, the reality of that end, was tattooed on every one of these jihadists' minds. And we got to remember that it wasn't that long ago that we were treated almost weekly to videos of these atrocities committed by al-Baghdadi's ISIS with the public beheadings um, where they were lining people up in their orange jumpsuits and cutting their heads off with knives one at a time, burning people alive in cages, drowning them with video from underwater. Everything that ISIS could do to try to traumatize and terrify the Western world and their uh, their uh, sectarian opponents over there in the region they did. So I, for one, would like to see actual video of Baghdadi's end. I think there must have been a camera on this canine that uh, pursued him into that tunnel. And thank goodness uh, that that canine is still with us. I would love for the president to bring him to the White House and, uh, and maybe make him the, the national dog. Uh, if he's unable to return to service. But uh, you'll recall the story of Kayla Mueller, who was a uh, aid worker that was in the region to try to help on a humanitarian mission when she was captured by ISIS, held as a sex slave, and abused for years before uh, until she actually died. And the, the ISIS sadists, taunted her parents and uh, and the nation. And one of the great things, one of the great details about this operation is they actually named the operation after Kayla Mueller. Uh, it, it's a shame that she was foolish enough to be over in that region and to be captured, but the way they treated her and these uh, these other ISIS prisoners um, absolutely required that everybody know the true nature of this guy, Baghdadi, that he was not some sort of brave freedom fighter, that when his end came, he didn't face it like a man. He gathered three of his children around him to try to use his human shields, which is a tactic that Islamic terrorists engage in and ran uh, crying and screaming and begging for his life. I've got a, a short story here. It's a couple of minutes long. It's uh, a story, uh, the, the, the story of Kay, Kay, uh, excuse me, Kayla Mueller on MB, ABC. 
The home movies show a young woman full of life, traveling the world to help the innocent victims of war. But that all ended with this video, being seen this morning for the first time. I've been here too long. I've been very sick. It's very terrifying here. Caleb Mueller had been taken hostage by ISIS on what was supposed to have been a quick trip into Syria. As ISIS brutally murdered three young American men, I'm back, Obama. The plight of a fourth American hostage, Kayla, remained a closely held secret. As her parents, Marsha and Carl Mueller, desperately worked behind the scenes to gain her freedom, sending their own videos to ISIS. Please, show mercy and use your power to free our daughter. There would be some 27 emails back and forth between the couple in their kitchen in Arizona and Kayla's ISIS captors in Syria, who at one point set a 30-day deadline for a $6 million ransom, or we will send you pictures of her dead body. But the Mueller's say a White House official threatened them with prosecution if they paid ransom for their daughter. I don't know how we survived, but I remember the argument. Marcia, we need to do something. They're not going to bring Kayla home. A year and a half after she was captured, ISIS sent the Mueller's three pictures of their daughter's dead body. Later, when the president came to Arizona to console them, the Mueller said he made a promise to help the foundation they set up in Kayla's name and then broke it. He says, I will help that foundation. He says, you won't know. It'll be an anonymous donation. But I will. I'm still waiting. There hasn't been such a donation? No. I'm still waiting for that donation, Mr. President. And you see the flag at, at my driveway. It's not something I take lightly, talking about our president that way. But that's what he said. The White House has now confirmed to ABC News that the president has indeed not yet made the donation he promised some 17 months ago. But an official said he still intends to, George. See the disappointment in their eyes. And in your well, that's kind of an old story. We still, I don't know, as this goes to air, whether or not uh, Obama ever actually followed through on that promise. And you make a promise to a grieving, uh, grieving parents, that is an oath. That is so dishonorable for him to have taken 14 months, whether or not he ever actually came through with that. Now that he is a multi-multi-millionaire, we, we still don't know, or I don't know. But it's shameful that he made that promise and took so long to uh, to to keep it. When we come back from this break, we're gonna we're gonna hear about the Democrats' reactions and uh, and look at uh, how the media handled the news, which should have been historic and uh, and good news. Right after these messages, stick with us. Mojo. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
So one of the interesting things about Trump's announcement is that he characterized um, the European allies who have basically uh, let the United States lead this fight against Islamic terrorism while they have uh, sent from their nations, well, they didn't send them. That's a poor choice of words, but they allowed um, citizens of their nations to travel to Syria and become part of the ISIS force. And after the United States and their Kurdish allies captured thousands of these Europeans over there in the theater, both uh, the fighters and their families, the Europeans have refused steadfastly to take them back. They want to leave this problem with the, the United States. They want us, apparently, to either operate prisons in the region from now on or to take these um, these ISIS fighters and family members over to Guantanamo and pay to house feed and, uh, and confine these people for the rest of their lives like we're doing right now to, uh, to Al-Qaeda um, fighters that we captured in Afghanistan. Here's what the president had to say about that. European nations have been a tremendous disappointment because I personally called, but my people called a lot, take your ISIS fighters, and they didn't want them. They said, we don't want them. They came from France. They came from Germany. They came from the U.K. They came from a lot of countries. And I actually said to him, you don't take them, I'm going to drop them right on your border. And you can have fun capturing them again. But the United States taxpayer is not going to pay for the next 50 years. You see what Guantanamo costs. We're not going to pay tens of billions of dollars because we were good enough to capture people that want to go back to Germany, France, UK, and other parts of Europe. And they can walk back. They can't walk to our country. We have lots of water in between our country and them. You know, I don't know about uh, the ethics or morality of, of uh, jailing or punishing these family members of ISIS. I believe a lot of them, at least in the case of the adults, uh, not in the case of the children, but in the case of the adult spouses of these, um, these ISIS fighters, that they were, in fact, complicit in this. If you, uh, if you learn that you're husband is going to co- travel to Syria and become a, uh, a fighter for Baghdadi and the ISIS caliphate, you, you have a, a responsibility to, uh, to separate yourself from that situation. And if you don't, if you go over there and allow yourself to become part of it, then maybe you do need to, uh, to suffer some punishment as a result of that. But uh, Europeans don't want them back. They want to leave it for the United States or people in the region to deal with these people. And, uh, and you know, there may be some, um, some logic to that because uh, now that the United States is withdrawing our, our troops from the region, these, uh, these ISIS fighters are going to be inherited by either Turkey or Syria or the Russians, none of which uh, have any use for these people whatsoever. And uh, they will probably receive a more uh, just punishment uh, than they would have from the Europeans or the Americans.
But Nancy Pelosi, uh, in uh, his uh, his speech, uh, the president pointed out uh, that he did not dare notify either Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff because with their long history of leaking and using leaks for political advantage, uh, that may have jeopardized the mission. Speaker Pelosi, ahead of time. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do that. I wanted to make sure this kept secret. I don't want to have men lost and women. Uh, I don't want to have people lost. Would you participate um, in inviting the special forces teams to the White House? After oh yeah, this? they'll be invited. I don't know if they'll want to have their faces shown. To be honest with you, you know, they want to. They're incredible for the country. They're not looking for public relations, but uh, they love doing what they're doing. I've seen it. First Lady was out there recently looking at what they do. She came back. She said, wow, I've never seen anything like that. The training, you know, all of the training and and the power of the people, uh, the men and women, the strength, the physical strength, the mental strength. These are incredible people. These are very unique individuals. They are incredible people. So, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi came out with a statement demanding that she be briefed immediately. Uh, The Democrats, uh, including Adam Schiff, were all... Uh, insulted that they did not get briefed in advance, uh, pointed out that Russia got noticed because, you know, we had to fly over their airspace. They didn't actually get briefed as she tried to characterize it, but they did get noticed that we were going in on a, a mission and not to shoot at our our personnel. But, um, you know, would Nancy Pelosi or Adam Schiff, Schiff have leaked this information if they had got it? Well, probably not. Probably not. But Maybe. Maybe they would have leaked it. They've shown that uh, they will not hesitate to uh, do uh, conduct these leaks that are contrary to the interests of the United States. And it was just about a, a week, um, maybe two weeks ago, that the president uh, held a briefing on Syria and his plans to bring our, our troops home from Syria. And Nancy Pelosi and the other uh, congressional leaders stormed out of that because they got their feelings hurt. They were more concerned about their feelings than um, the strategic objectives in the area, in the region. So, you know, if they had received a briefing, they probably wouldn't have leaked it, but they may have based on their history. And the stakes in this case were just too high to take that risk, even if the, the risk was 5%. And I would say that probably just based on their history, you would say that the odds of the Democrats keeping this secret and not using it for their own political advantage to try to sabotage Trump probably were more in the area of 20 or 25%. Way, way too high to, to take that risk. So... Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff can fume all they want to. Adam Schiff actually runs the House Intelligence Committee. It was their job to be working on these types of issues, but they've not. Somehow, the impeachment inquisition has been assigned to the House Intelligence Committee, and that's been occupying all of their time and energy. But it was a good day for America. Good day for the fight against Islamic terrorism. When we come back after these messages, we're going to take a look at the mainstream media's reaction to all of this. I hope you'll join us. There's going to be two messages, and then we'll be right back.
right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Stick with us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture. From an America First perspective. Well, I'd said for the last few weeks that I have sort of stopped watching the Sunday news shows and tuned in almost exclusively to Maria Bartiromo's excellent uh, Sunday Futures. But uh, this week I did uh, switch around to uh, the networks and uh, the cable shows on MSNBC and CNN to see their reaction to all of this. And I, I have to admit, feeling a little bad for them. Because they had uh, they had prepared all week, you know, that this is their marquee day to come on and engage in their Trump bashing. And they really thought they had something this week with these uh, these hearsay testimonies before Adam Schiff's star chamber of uh, Bill Taylor and uh, Gordon Sondheim, these uh, selectively leaked sound um, clips, not, not clips, but uh, uh, quotes from their testimony. Uh, and and I'm sure that they had worked hard all week uh, to put put together an impeachment tour de force on Sunday morning when uh, Donald Trump um, brought to them which uh, news which I'm sure that they saw as less exciting than their pursuit of Donald Trump and that is the uh, the killing after uh, an eight or nine year search for El Baghdadi. And um, it was it was interesting to watch because uh, they were sort of caught off guard and they were scrambling uh, for a way to try to put a negative spin on this. And uh, apparently, Donald Trump's blunt language in describing uh, Baghdadi's demise is gave them what they needed. So instead of focusing on the legacy of Baghdadi and the perfect poetic justice that he received uh, as he went out of this world, they instead decided to focus on Donald Trump's words and his description of how Baghdadi left this, wor- this world. 
And Samantha, overnight, this news of the raid, the president obviously speaking at great length, sharing incredible detail about this mission in Syria. Uh, what strikes you? What stands out to you? Well, this is obviously a major accomplishment, but from a counterterrorism perspective, the president. This is obviously a major accomplishment, but she gave it one sentence, the actual substance of what happened, before she transitioned to this but. Let me get back to the business of uh, criticizing the president. This is obviously a major accomplishment, but from a counterterrorism perspective, the president's engagement with the media on this, Brian, is pretty surprising to me. This is a high-risk period. Immediately after a special operation like this, there is increased risk of retaliatory attacks and risk to human sources on the ground in Syria, for example. The level of detail that President Trump went into, into the, in that press conference increases the risk to sources that uh, may still be on the ground. It's really unprecedented when you think about how much detail he actually went into. And Are while, you saying it's irresponsible? I think it is irresponsible. Are you saying it's irresponsible? Uh, sources at risk, and it's unnecessary at this point. He could have mm. been much more, uh, much more succinct in what he said. Typically, you have all these talking points scrubbed by the intelligence community to make sure that they don't have the unintended impact of inspiring more attacks. He did try to uh, preclude any image of Baghdadi as a martyr by describing him, I think, as a whimpering dog and a coward and that sort of thing. Right. But it's clear that while the intelligence community played a very big role in implementing this raid, it does not appear he's listening to them in, in terms of how to manage this aftermath. Well... You know, this this is another instance of these uh, these inside the Beltway experts, these elite foreign policy uh, geniuses, passing judgment on this president's successes while completely ignoring their long and well documented history of failure in all of this. Remember that it was this group that. Um, when we went into Afghanistan to capture bin Laden, pushed him over into the Tora Bora Mountains bordering Pakistan, the one nuclear-armed Muslim nation on the planet where we could not follow him, left the U.S. Mountain Division on the tarmac in Germany instead of sealing those mountain passes and then used Soviet-era artillery to blast him over the border into Pakistan. It took them 10 years, a full decade. The first instance, I was talking about uh, the administration of George W. Bush. The second instance took them a full decade to catch up with bin Laden and bring him to justice. Under the Obama administration, with these geniuses at the helm, they, al- they allowed ISIS to capture the oil fields in Syria, use that as a, a funding source and established this caliphate that resulted in total destabilization of the region, even more so than it was already because of their plans and their policies. The president's been there for less than three years. He took the uh, reins off of his military and destroyed the caliphate and most, almost all of ISIS And now he, uh, under his administration, they have located Baghdadi and brought him to justice. This particular analyst was able to get one sentence out of her mouth before she inserted a butt and went back to the business of bashing the one guy 
that is finally starting to move the dial on this war against terrorism. Over at MSNBC, this is what they had to say. I wonder here um, if this type of killing only reinforces the ideology of Baghdadi's followers and, in fact, strengthens it. Well, it doesn't make it any easier for those of us who want to destroy the organization completely. So this talking head over at MSNBC, her take was that, uh, that killing Baghdadi in the manner that the president described only strengthens ISIS. <laughs> you know, it's breathtaking. It's, it's, it's stunning when you listen to this stuff over on uh, Meet the Press. The host, Margaret Brennan, had a uh, Obama-era admiral on there, James Winifield, who claims that, um, well, I'll let you hear it for yourself. The president also said in his remarks that he planned or wanted to release some video of those last few moments of Baghdadi's life that he repeatedly uh, characterized, called him a dog, whimpering, crying. He wanted ISIS's followers to see him like that. Margaret, this is Would you advise on. this? This is piling on. This one of the, the one part of the president's remarks that did bother me was this continual piling on of humiliation. Of, a little bit of that is appropriate, but you're sending a signal to uh, some of his followers around the world that could cause them to lash out possibly more harshly in the wake. You of don't this. want a locker room kind of feel to this, right? And that was the one thing we worked really hard on after the Bin Laden raid: is don't make those kind of statements because it does inspire other people. How'd that work? out for you how did um treating the obama uh coverage with such kid gloves and giving him this uh is this burial in accordance with islamic tradition how'd that work out for you did that make the the uh terror campaign better or worse i don't know if it had any effect on it at all i don't think that the response from the uh jihadists the islamic terrorists will be any different Based on Trump's use of blunt language to describe his end, I think it will demoralize them and keep them from characterizing Baghdadi as a martyr or anything but the coward that he was, the sadistic coward. Over on CNN, um, they actually had a, uh, a guest. is uh, an international correspondent named Nick Patton Walsh who compared Donald Trump yeah, there were with lots ISIS. Of moments during Donald Trump's speech which jarred to some degree. It was extraordinary how the communications were managed. Uh, it's, uh, there's a long trail ahead of him actually finally releasing details, explicit details, some of which sort of echoed, and frankly, the crudeness you would often expect to hear maybe from ISIS about the whimpering, uh, screaming Baghdadi pinned down in a, a sealed tunnel, killing himself and his three children. Um, it, was, it was sort of disturbing to hear to some degree. So Nick Patton Walsh was disturbed to hear the details of Baghdadi's demise and compared the president of the United States who, who authorized this mission against Baghdadi to ISIS. <laughs> so their reaction, basically you could uh, summarize it in the mainstream media, was uh, not to celebrate the demise of Baghdadi, but to criticize the president for speaking so harshly about it. 
up until the point of comparing him to ISIS. And that Trump administration official bemoaning the fact that the president's piling on. Poor Baghdadi. They, as far as I'm concerned, they should have taken his head and put it on a pike so that everybody could see it. Yeah, when you're talking about the, the end of a sadistic mass murderer, you should absolutely describe it. The mother of Kayla, uh, Kayla Mueller uh, pointed out that her daughter might still be alive if President Obama had shown the same decisiveness that Donald Trump had shown. And I was, uh, I was very heartened to see the administration name this operation after, after Kayla Mueller. The Washington Post, they, they were maybe the most egregious in their coverage of this. Uh, they, they put out an obituary of al-Baghdadi, and their headline was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi austere religious scholar at the helm of the Islamic State, dies at 48. Really? I mean, the the headline in the New York Times wasn't quite as egregious in their soft-peddling Baghdadi's true nature as the Washington Post, but if you read uh, the obituary, both of them were sort of not condemnatory, but sort of a grudging admiration for <laughs> for Baghdadi. I'll read that headline again and just see if you can imagine what type of mindset it would take to write this headline over the Washington Post. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at the helm of the Islamic State, dies at 48. First of all, it should have been properly noted that he was killed. Yeah, he blew up his own vest, but he did it because the American forces were in hot, hot pursuit. So they should have used some language brought to justice or, or uh, forced to pay for his crimes. Austere religious scholar, they say. They pulled it down pretty quickly because now that we live in this age of social media, they were uh, they were jumped on with both feet on Twitter and Facebook. And one of their assistant editors went on said uh, on Twitter and said regarding our El Baghdadi obituary, the headline should never have read that way, and we changed it quickly. <laughs> well, how did it happen to begin with? How do you have it? You know, if if you were a a news outlet and you hated everything America stood for, you hated the president, and you hated our military, and you sympathized with the terrorists, what would you have done? How would you have written that headline differently? I can't see it. Over at Bloomberg, the headline was sort of a classic up-by-his-bootstraps sort of Alger, um, uh, Horatio Alger uh, success story. They were talking about his history and how he 
lifted himself up and he, how he was recognized early on as having talent. And they had uh, quotes from people uh, characterizing him in favorable ways. On Saturday Night Live, the night before they got they announced this, Saturday Night Live put, put together a clip or a, a skit, and I'm not going to play any clips for you because it, it's not funny, quite frankly. If it were funny, I would play it, and then I would, I would um, um, you know, lampoon it. But it wasn't funny, so it's not worth playing. The theme of this skit was that uh, Donald Trump is bringing back jobs to ISIS. It's pretty amazing, but the uh, uh, the the Twittersphere was uh, was just brutal, <laughs> just brutal in its response to the um, the mainstream newspapers' obituaries, and I'll uh, I'll bring you some of that when we come back right after these messages. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So the Washington Post headline, their, the headline to their obituary for Baghdadi was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, austere religious scholar at the helm of Islamic State, dies at 48. Man, that set off ridicule on Twitter like you couldn't believe. Uh, the original hashtag has been suppressed by Twitter at this point. I can't. I think it was WAPO death notices. Uh, they've they've set up a new hashtag uh, called uh, Washington Post obits, but the response was absolutely devastating to the Washington Post. Uh, they started writing. Um, uh, um, lampoons of of uh, the Washington Post headlines, similar to Theodore Bundy, Republican activist, law student, and known lady killer dead in Florida. Jeffrey Epstein, local philanthropist and mentor of young women, dead at 66. <laughs> Jim Jones, world traveler, religious pre- preacher, and cocktail enthusiast, dies at 47. Adolf Hitler, artist, thinker, and social organizer at helm of Nazi party, dies peacefully at his wife's side, age 56. (laughs) Ah. Lee Harvey Oswald, former Marine, devoted marksman, dead at 24. Charles Manson, aspiring musician and deeply religious man who helped runaway teenagers, dies at 83. (laughs) Oh, this is so dead on. 
Saddam Hussein, Iran, Iraq war veteran, oil tycoon, and Ba'ath Party member dies suddenly at age 69. <laughs> oh, God. So the president pointed out at one point during his, um, his speech that um, about this, this dog, uh, you know, that was hot on Baghdadi's trail as he ran down that, uh, that spider hole with his uh, three children to use as human shields thought that might protect him. You would, you would think you'd want to get the kids away from the danger, not take them with you. But the president mentioned that the dogs were in hot pursuit and that uh, one of these dogs was um, badly injured in the operation. And thank God, none of the other American uh, troops that uh, um, were on this operation were severely injured. All of them, uh, even the minor injuries, have now been released from care. But the president pointed out that um, you know this dog was part of the operation. And, uh, and that seems to have also triggered the media. But um, I think it's a beautiful thing. You talk about ironic justice. Muslims hate dogs for some reason. They think they're dirty. And, uh, and they, uh, the fact that uh, Baghdadi was being pursued by a dog is, is not going to sit well with his acolytes. But I think uh, the president ought to bring this, uh, this canine to the White House, and if he's too injured to uh, to uh, return to service, uh, make him the the White House dog, the national, the national, um, the nation's dog. I definitely want to see this dog, and I want to learn more about it, his name, and uh, and you know who he worked for, and the the circumstances uh, around his injury. But uh, dog lovers everywhere are gonna like that after the uh, the scorn and hate that um, these radical Islamists uh, view dogs with, that um, this dog was so uh, involved in, in catching Baghdadi. Well, this was, uh, this was the week that I was going to start a sort of miscellaneous Monday and, and start covering um, stories from the previous week that had, I thought, not received adequate uh, coverage because of the 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, round-the-clock impeachment jihad that the Democrats have got going. But uh, we're going to have to put that off another week, and I guess uh, these uh, these minutes remaining in this show, I, I just want to talk about, you know, uh, well, Joe Biden went on 60 Minutes last night. I didn't watch it, but I did review some of the clips. We don't have time to play them for you now, but one of the things he said that uh, he asked Barack Obama not to endorse him, if you believe that. I've got a, uh, a, a bridge that's in really good shape that I can make a good deal for you on. But he says he, he didn't ask Obama to, he asked Obama not to endorse him and that uh, he made this claim again that his son had done absolutely nothing wrong in taking these millions and millions of dollars from, um, from China and the Ukraine, and now it's coming out that... Uh, uh, he was also uh, heavily involved in uh, Romania. All of these are places where his father was giving given um, the lead on Obama administration policy. Basically, what happened is uh, O. Hunter would just follow Joe around wherever he had influence and cash in on it. 
But it got me to thinking, you know, they, they're pushing Biden as the last of the moderate Democrats and hoping, you know, that, that they won't lose the upper Midwest again like uh, Hillary Clinton managed to do and return Donald Trump to the White House. They think that uh, Joe Biden's got the best chance of unseating Donald Trump. I think it's <laughs> pure folly. I don't, I don't see actually any of the candidates that are currently in the Democrat field being able to beat uh, Trump, but I definitely don't think Joe Biden can do it. First of all, by the time the general election rolls around, he is going to be so um, diminished by the grind of all of this that uh, by the time he gets on a debate stage with Donald Trump, I don't know if he'll be able to stand any longer. But, you know, uh, the the thing of it is, if, if this is their moderate candidate he sure isn't uh he sure isn't trying to stake out that territory it looks to me like he's trying to uh mimic the other far left candidates as hard as he can you recall it was just last week he said this well and that's going to start i'm going to start by reversing the trump tax cuts for the super wealthy corporations so the first thing he's going to do is start by reversing the Trump tax cuts. That will um, destroy jobs because the corporate tax cut desperately needed to be brought into line and it has resulted in uh, millions of uh, jobs coming back to our shores, especially in manufacturing. The first thing that Biden's going to do is destroy the economy. And, well, you say, oh, that's just standard Democrat fare, Jim. They're always talking about jacking up taxes on the, on the super rich. That's part of their class warfare uh, game plan that the, that the moderates have been engaged in a long time. Well, here's old Joe Biden attending a LGBTQ plus IA. I can't even keep track of it any longer. And, uh, and here is Joe Biden displaying one of his uh, most endearing characteristics and that is he will promise whatever he needs to to whatever audience he is standing in front of at the time so many of them and so yes and by the way in prison in prison the determination should be that your sexual identity is defined by what you say it is not what in fact the prison says it is and in that case you should be entitled also to OGBYN anyway LGBYN that question but you're not likely to either I guess (laughs) LGBYN Biden says well what he's talking about is uh, if you're arrested uh, and you decide before they put you in men's prison that you are uh, you identify as a woman that they're going to have to put you in women's prison. This is a, a, a policy position that old Joe Biden staked out. And he went on TV with video cameras rolling and said this. Can you imagine the RNC's ads if he were to become the nominee? But you remember every one of the, um, the Democrat nominees or the Democratic hopefuls raised their hand in that CNN debate when they were asked whether they would provide government-funded health care for illegal aliens. Each and every one of them raised their hand, yes. Well, Joe Biden thinks that we, we just don't have 
enough um, enough immigration to this country. And this is what he said in response to uh, to one of these uh, immigration zealot town halls. We could afford to take in a heartbeat another two million people. The idea that a country of three hundred and thirty million people cannot absorb people who are in desperate need and who are justifiably fleeing oppression is absolutely bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. I would also move to increase the total number of immigrants able to come to the United States. So he, he's going to allow millions and millions more. He's going to increase immigration, both legal and illegal. And he's going to pay government-funded health care for all of them, including the ones that are here illegally. This is their moderate candidate. And this uh, this interview on 60 Minutes last night, at least the clips I saw of it, were all softball questions. It was quite clear that either they had some ground rules that uh, 60 Minutes agreed to, or that they were desperately trying not to do any damage to their hopeful Democrat nominee. Unbelievable. Well, that's about it for today's show. I want to thank you for joining us. Hope you uh, celebrate the demise of Baghdadi today and uh, and share the good news. And I hope you join, join us again back here tomorrow for another edition of Right Now on Mojo 5.0.